Let's pray. Father, this song is what we pray. Speak. Speak to us and call out a response from us, God. Not the response that we've always given, not the response of routine, not the response of religion, but the response of hearts set free by grace, touched by grace. God, speak and call out a response of obedience and humility. Speak and call out a response of, God, fresh songs from our hearts. Speak, Father, and call out responses of clapping and shouting and celebrating. Speak, Father, and give us the response that fits with a grace that is so wonderfully amazing. And so, Father, I pray that we, your people, when you speak, will hear. And when you speak, we will answer. And when you speak, we will respond. God, grant us to not just respond here, but to run out of these doors and live our lives responding to the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We pray for that in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So we're coming to a point in Colossians that's really timely for us as a body. As Perry mentioned, we've been... Uh, seeking and praying for um, a man to come and lead, both as a worship pastor and in some ministry team leadership and discipleship. And so it's so timely that we get to talk about what are our gatherings about? What kind of gatherings are we trying to create? Um, When we gather together, what are we focused on? What are we about? And that's important because whoever it is that God calls and whoever it is that God raises up, this is what we are asking them to do. And there are some things that I know to be true in this area. And except by the word of God or conscience, you will not ever get me to change. And hopefully that's okay. There's some core convictions I have in this area. And I I have worked with our, our worship team and tried to coach them. They've also stretched me in some areas and expanded my view uh, of this in some areas. And on the back of your bulletin are some of the visions or the vision we have for this and the values we have attached to this and the definition that over time, over three years together, or almost four years together, that we've wrestled through and stretched on. And so just want to share a few of those with you because this is what we're aiming at. Um, and so we, first we start by defining worship. Worship is an all-of-life, faithful and obedient response to the revelation of God's person and work made possible through a relationship with Jesus. So let me break that down. It's simply this. I live my life in response to the revelation of who God is and what he has done in Christ. And so that is both all of life. Present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worshipful service is the translation of that in Romans 12, 1. Um, And so we live our lives in response to the one who has bought us, to the one who has extended grace to us, the one who has saved us, the one who reigns in heaven above all things. We live like he reigns. We live like we know him. We live like his grace has captured us. And it really is amazing as it is. But then when we gather, it's the same thing. We are aiming, as you can see in our our, um, vision for this, we are aiming to saturate our services with the word of Christ, to saturate our services with this rich content of who God is and what God has done in Christ, this, this saturating our services by declaring that 
the one that is God was born in human flesh and that he grew up and that he died and he rose again from the dead and we proclaim that and we respond to that and we, we, we talk about his holiness. We talk about the one who bore our wrath for us on the cross and burst it out of the grave because death couldn't contain him. I hope that you see we are looking to saturate our environments with truth. I don't want you to respond to the beat I don't want you to respond to how good our vocals are or how not good our vocals are. I don't want you to respond because you got warm fuzzies today. I want you to encounter the living God in truth. I want you to encounter the gracious Jesus who went to a bloody cross to extend grace for you. I want you to see and encounter his truth. And then I want you to respond. And so we're aiming to set you free to respond in biblical ways to these truths. And so... That's what we're aiming at. We want an atmosphere of expectancy. We want you to show up expecting God to meet you and to meet the people around you and to meet the people that you invite. We want an atmosphere of expectancy where people will be set free to respond in biblical ways, all the biblical ways, to the truths that are being poured out, the truths that are being sung, the truths that are being um, shared through meditations and exhortations and the truths of the word and sermons. The way we do that is simply we center our services on the Word. We center our services on content-rich music. Um, And you can see some of our values there. We want this to be a God-centered environment. Not about you and not about me, but about Him. And the more that's about Him and the more we reveal Him, the more people will encounter Him. We do that through content-rich versus style-focused. It's never going to be your style. It's never going to be my style. It's never going to be exactly all the songs I want every time. It's never going to be, oh, it was too loud. But I can promise you this. It's always going to say great things about God and give you the opportunity to sing and declare great things about God and to give you the opportunity for God to speak into your life great things about himself. And that's something you can show up for and respond to. It's totally separate from your style. We're content-rich, authentic versus performance. Our praise teams and our leaders do such a great job of not being performers for you, but being authentic people who are seeking to encounter God and also lead you into the freedom of encountering God and responding. We value performance, uh, authenticity over performance. Um, We want to honor the diversity of the body and we want to engage the congregation. We do not want this to ever be a concert. We don't want to sing up on the platform and you just watch down here when you're not. We want the congregation to participate, to be engaged in this. The church is not a performance. The church is not a a, a concert or a choir concert. The church is for God's people to gather, to sing God's praises together because he's enthroned on the praises of his people and he commands his people to sing and to sing and command joy into their lives, and to sing their, God's protection over them, and some things we'll talk about. And so uh, that's what's on our website. That's some things that I know to be true. It would be really hard, but if you find the word, or if you find a way that you could change my conscience on it, we can change them. But other than that, I just know that's what we're supposed to aim at. I know we're supposed to aim at God, and filling our services with him, and then let him do what he wants among us. And so that's what we're doing today. That's what we're going to ask somebody to come and walk into. We don't want you to come in here before him. We want you to come in here and lead us into a, a service that is saturated with the glory of God and his truths and his person and his work, and then let him work among us. So it was where we are in Colossians. We've gone through the theology of the book, Christ is Supreme.
We've gone through the false teaching. It's empty and it's deceptive and it's man-made wisdom versus God's wisdom. And now as we've gotten into chapter 3, we're dealing with what, how do we live if that is true. And so we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new identity where we are dead in him and alive in him. We have a new identity, holy and beloved. And that drives a new way of living. And so there is something that belongs to our old nature and it's got to go away. And then there's all these qualities that belong to our new man. And so the new man uh, have all these qualities that build relationship and build community because God's people are meant to be a community, not to be individuals. And then here we'll have the new man as he gathers together in community, in the gathering. And then next, well, in a couple of weeks, we will have the new man as he does his family life and he does his work life. And then we'll have the new man on mission. And that's how he finishes out the book. Your new identity of the gospel, walking into the gathering, walking into your family life, walking into your work life, and then walking into your life of mission. And so that will be the, kind of the course going forward. But today, as we look at it, this is the third of three commands, the first two we did last week. And so the third command is, is this week. And, and, and when we put them together, there's two uh, questions or set of questions that help us as a community of faith live in a way that flourishes under Christ. And so two questions. From last week, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so the first one is, is God's peace present in whether it's the gathering or is it in decision making or in um, our groups? Is God's peace present? That's an important qualifier before we make decisions, before we move forward. But the other side, the personal side of that, am I contributing to peace? And so when I live at home with my spouse or when I'm dealing with my kids, do I contribute to the peace of my home? And then when I live in a body like this, in a community called the church, do I contribute to the peace, to the unity around me? Or do I take away? And so that's question one. Let peace rule. Question two is this. Is it consistent with God's word? And does it, enrich our, does it enrich people in God's word? And so it's not just, is it biblical? Is it, does it cause the word to flourish and enrich the body when we do this? And so those are two real big questions that are supposed to be answered in the community of faith. Does it contribute to peace? Is peace present? And does this aid, does this flourish, does this enrich the word in the lives of God's people? All right, so let's look at it. Worship and gathering saturated with the word of Christ. Worship and gathering saturated with the word of Christ. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so as we look at the first step, our worship teaches and exhorts others towards the wisdom of Christ. Our worship teaches and exhorts others to the wisdom of Christ. So there's a term that came up in a conference we were at a month or so ago that's really been rattling around in my heart. And he used the word gospel fluency. Meaning that the gospel and its implications are the native language of the Christian. And so the language that I talk when we're together and the language that we talk when we're together as a body, the gospel comes out. 
It comes out and it encourages. It comes out and it challenges. It comes out and it, it um, helps people with what they're struggling with. It comes out and it encourages people to press on. It comes out and it helps them see and believe and love Jesus more and love each other more. And so, do I speak with gospel fluency? Meaning, is the gospel wired into my conversations and wired into my, my interactions with other people in a way that speaks to them, in a way that helps them, in a way that encourages them? Do I speak their identity to them? And so I was really encouraged this week. I was on the dreaded Facebook, and somebody was having, one of the members was having a, a, a tough time. They were just struggling. And then one of our members posted back and just spoke their identity to them. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's gospel fluency. It's not here for spiritual laws. Okay, move on. It's in the middle of worry. What are you not believing? It's in the middle of anger. What have you forgotten about God and his tender mercies? How do I speak people's identity over them in the middle of their struggles so that I give life into them and help them versus take away from them. And so worship teaches us to exhort others. And the way that begins is right here in the congregation. Right here is we're gathered under the name of Jesus. Right here is we're singing to each other and to God. We admonish. We teach. We share the wisdom of Christ. And the Holy Spirit uses our voice to speak to the people around us. You didn't know your singing as horrible as it might be like mine. He didn't realize that God, through the Holy Spirit, was using that in ways that if it were not there, the Holy Spirit would have less ammunition to encourage the people around you and less ammunition to confront the people around you and less ammunition to make them more like Christ because you chose not to sing. That's what the text says, though. Let's look at it. All right, and so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so that's the governing command. That's what it's all about. And then he qualifies it with three words teaching and admonishing and singing. And those three words act like commands. You must teach or let us teach, uh, if it's an exhortation, or you must admonish, let us admonish, or you must sing, you must sing, let us sing. So if you need the command, you must. If you need the exhortation, let's do it. And you must do it from a heart captured with grace. And so that's the framework of the text. And as we get into it, I want you to look at this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so that's the command. Now, he uses the word of Christ, and that's a little bit different, but it makes sense in the book of Colossians. Usually it's the word of God or the oracles of God or the word of the Lord. But here, because throughout Colossians, Paul, his point has been Christ is supreme. Christ is glorious. Let's exalt Christ. And so let's... The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word about Jesus, let the word that's from Jesus live inside of the body richly. And it's talking about the gathering. Live inside your hearts, the the congregation, the gathering. And so let the word of Christ, the gospel, the gospel and its implications for your everyday life, let, let the gospel be richly at home in your gatherings. Let the word about his gospel, let the word about the implications of the gospel, let the word about Jesus, let the word about the cross be richly dwelling inside of you as a body when you gather. That's, that's the goal. That's what it's about. Make sure the word of Christ is just overflowing in your gatherings. The word for dwell is the word for being at home. 
And so let the word of Christ be at home in your gatherings. Let the word of Christ have unrestricted access to your heart and to the congregation as you gather. Let the word of Christ have unrestricted access in your actions and unrestricted access in your decisions and unrestricted access in the motives of your heart when you gather. Make sure the word of Christ is at home in everything. There's an at-homeness quality. There's a freedom for the word of Christ to do what it wants to do among us as we gather. And then richly, that's been a word that's been throughout Colossians, this lavish abundance So let the word of Christ be lavish and abundant and overflowing. And that's why I chose the word saturate. Let let your gatherings be saturated with the word of Christ. Overflowing with the word of Christ. Let it dwell in you richly. And then we get into some of the modifiers. And so, in wisdom, which has been a key word in Colossians as well, if you remember the false teachers have a man-made wisdom, a wisdom that originates in us, but in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so wisdom has been this, this theme throughout Colossians. And he's prayed, I want you to have um, a knowledge of God and all wisdom and spiritual insight. And so his desire is the Colossians have wisdom. His, his point is Jesus has all the wisdom. There's a spiritual dimension to wisdom. It's not country horse sense. It's not common sense. It's spiritual wisdom. It's God-given wisdom and insight on how to live life God's way. And I want that to be there when you teach. And the word for teach is to simply put things together and to communicate them effectively. And so I want you to take the truths of God and communicate them effectively to each other. I want you to take the truths of God and make them understandable for each other. And in a second you'll see how that's done by you, the congregation, not just the guy up here. Singing is the means of teaching. Singing is the means of admonishing. And so in wisdom, teach. In wisdom, spiritual dimension. God's truth, admonish. And the word for admonish has two sides to it. It has the idea of encouraging, and it has the idea of correcting. And so in your singing, you are encouraging and giving courage where courage is lacking. In your singing, you are correcting where correction is needed. And so let the word of Christ dwell in your singing. So let the word of Christ dwell in your your, your gatherings because you will teach each other when you do that, and you will admonish each other. And so that's you, the body, and that's me, the body. As we sing, we teach. What are we teaching? As the body, as we sing, we admonish each other. We speak words of courage and life. And we speak words of correction to turn away from death. And we do that to each other. And that's a body function. It's not the people on the stage function. There's a body life. There's a congregation life that God desires for us. And it's not just up here. It's there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as we saturate our songs and our exhortations and our music and our sermons with the word of Christ and we teach each other and we call each other to believe and to see and to follow and to obey and to humble and to correct and to be encouraged. That's the gathering. That's what it's about in the gathering. And so the first, our worship teaches and exhorts others towards wisdom of Christ Second, our worship sings to God from hearts captured by grace. Our worship sings to God out of hearts captured by grace. Look at this. Now, here's how most commentators think this goes. Think this good. Thinks this go together? Sorry. It's a Memorial Day. I get a holiday. My, my tongue gets a break every once in a while too, right? So, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching it, admonishing, 
by means of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so that's how most uh, commentators put this text together, as they say, we teach and we admonish by singing. And so by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and if you've heard this passage before, that's probably been broken down in modern categories. But in the text, it's just not so. And so in the text, these all overlap each other to some degree, and so there's not like three distinct types of music in this text. There's simply these... uh, kind of overlapping categories of songs. And so uh, a psalm is simply a song set to music. It may refer to the Old Testament psalms, like the Psalms of David, you know, the, the hymn book of ancient Israel. And so it may be that the hymn book of ancient Israel was brought into the Christian church and it was sung in the early gatherings of the church. Psalms. Hymns were written way before Fanny Crosby came on the scene, just so some of you guys know. Like, those are modern worship songs compared to the first worship songs. Just so you know, I want to make sure we're all clear. And hymns in the Bible simply mean festive songs of praise. So these festive celebratory songs of praise. That's a hymn in the ancient, in this text. And our Bibles contain several hymns, several New Testament hymns. And so if, if the Old Testament Psalms are brought into Christian worship, then this would be the the songs that are written in the Christian community with very distinct Christian themes. And so they're singing psalms, and then they're singing these these Christian themes set to music. And we have them in the New Testament. We just went through one in Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is a hymn. It's a fragment of an ancient hymn, right? And so if we were to go back there, and I'm not going to sing, and nor could I read the Greek fluently, but if you look at it, it's he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of authority. Somehow they set that to music and they sung that. That was a hymn of the ancient church. One of the passages that I think that is, that is um, one of the favorites of people that have read is uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. The one uh, who did not consider equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's a hymn. That was sung in the early Christian communities. And so there's psalms and there's hymns, and then there's spiritual songs. The word for songs is simply the word for songs. It doesn't take a lot of translation. And so any song would fit under the category of song. And so Psalms or hymns or any other kind of song that you come up with, as long as it's spiritual, as long as it's centered on God, it's centered on Christ, it declares the Trinity and their work for us, as long as that happens, sing it. Use it to admonish each other. Use it to teach each other. And so what this text makes really, really clear is that the medium and the style is way, 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 way secondary to the message of the songs we sing. I guess not even on the radar it's so secondary. Now it may apply when you bring in principles of mission and principles of the expression of community and who has gathered to sing these songs. But when it comes to a rightness or a wrongness of songs, that doesn't exist except for does it declare truth about God and his work and what he's done. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then the second qualifier of this is the posture of our singing. What posture does your singing take on with thankfulness in your hearts to God? And the word for thankfulness is the word for grace. 
It's a diff- there's another word for thanksgiving, but it, you know, grace can also mean thanksgiving. And so I would say that probably the better translation here is in grace in your hearts towards God. Because that just makes sense with the context and our identity and the themes that have been going throughout this chapter. And so when you sing, get this now, this is important. When you sing, sing from a heart that understands grace. And doesn't just understand it mentally, because that, that's not what we're talking about. You sing from a heart that has been captivated with grace. Because you know, grace is really scandalous. Grace is so scandalous that it makes people mad when they encounter it. You know how I know this? Because Jesus told a story about some workers in a vineyard, and he calls some in the morning, and I'll pay you this much. And then he calls some a couple hours later, I'll, I'll just pay you what's right. And he calls some at midday, I'll, pay you what's, I'll just pay you what's right. You just go to work. Okay, why are you still working? An hour left in the day. Come on, why are you sitting around? I'll pay you what's right. And what does he pay them? He pays every single one of them the exact same amount. And the people at the beginning of the day are furious at this thing called grace. Sing like grace is that scandalous that he would dare take somebody like you and adopt them. Sing out of a heart that really believes that's true. Sing out of a heart that says, oh my God, I should be so separated. I should be destroyed. You shouldn't even breathe in the world that I exist in and yet you adopt me as your child. Sing with a heart that believes that. And so in grace, as a heart captured with that kind of grace, loved with that kind of love, accepted with that kind of acceptance, sing like it's true. Can you imagine what it would do to your song if you really believed that was true? You wouldn't mumble words because you're supposed to and you want to look good with the people around you. You would shout in a way that made people, oh my God, I wish he would sing a little quieter. They're awful, but I think they believe it. That's how we would sing, isn't it? In the realm of grace, understanding grace, captured by grace, sing that way to God. Sing that way to God. Our worship sings to God from a heart that has been captured with grace. One of the things that has blessed me, probably more than any, I, you know, I've had a lot of blessings being here, but one of the things that's blessed me more than any is how we have grown as a singing church. There are times, and I do this, I did it in December and I did it a couple weeks ago, when the college students leave. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to hear what God's people are doing in this moment as we sing. You know, will it drop off? What will we do? And in December and in May, I'm just sitting there and God's just pouring blessing over my life because I'm hearing the congregation sing as if there aren't 40 people missing from the church and filling it up with his praises. Because that fits, right? Listen to what God says about singing in the Psalms over 67 times, hundreds of times in the Bible. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them. I will give thanks to the Lord that's due his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing praise to your power. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. That my glory may sing your praises and not be silent, O Lord my God. Sing praises, congregation. Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. 
Sing praises with a psalm. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Do you get the point? Don't just sing because, well, they say it's important. Sing because of that. Sing because it spreads His protection over you. Sing because of your gladness in the name of God. Sing because He's a great King and worthy to be sung to. Sing for that. All right, our our worship sings to God from hearts captured with this grace. Last step, our worship is continuous as we live all of life in response to the name of Jesus. Our worship is continuous as we sing as we live all of life in response to the name of Jesus. If you do not worship God, that is, Monday through Saturday, there is a very, very slim chance you are doing any genuine worshiping on Sunday, short of maybe being broken, weeping, and bowing down. Right? Because here's the thing. We are all worshipers, and we're always worshiping. And so if we're spending Monday through Saturday worshiping ourselves and worshiping our kids and worshiping our jobs and worshiping our, our money and worshiping our stuff... Then we gather on Sunday. The only thing left is for God to break us and say, No, I am God. I am King. Come back. Right? And so if we don't worship Monday through Saturday, if we aren't centering our hearts and our lives around Him, then we come on Sunday, we're not expressing that worship. But here's the beauty of the gospel as it comes to people wherever we are and it welcomes us to bringing more and more of our life centered on the name of Jesus. More and more of our life where he is the supreme treasure of our lives. And that's what he does graciously by the gospel calling every area to conform, every area to bow, every area to rejoice. And that's what we see happening as the text closes out in 17. And this finishes up a section. Uh, and so it's kind of summarizing chapter 3. Uh, all of chapter 3, but really focusing in on what we've just covered. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right, so whatever. Do you know what whatever includes? Everything, right? I was going to say there's a big Greek word for everything. That's it. Everything. Whatever you do. And then he uses the distinctions word and deed, which is what the rabbis would use in the ancient Israel, or, or during the time of this text. The rabbis would say in word and in deed, meaning all of life. And so every area, whether it's what you say or what you do, and everything in between, make sure all of that is done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so whatever you do, and in case you missed it, word and deed, and in case you missed that, everything, do it in the name of Jesus. And here's such a great important point for us, because we can get trapped up here in our brains knowing the right things, can't we? Make sure what you say and what you do match up. One of my old pastors used to say, the rest is just religious talk. What you do and what you say should communicate roughly the same message. And so let your confession of your lips and the pattern of your life go together, word and deed. Right? And so our worship is continuous. All of life, what we say we believe is what we actually live. And so all of life is lived as worship. Romans 12, we talked about By the mercies of God, the gospel of Romans 1 through 11, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worshipful service. There is not one area of life the gospel doesn't touch. The gospel is not four spiritual laws to say together or to say on mission. 
It touches every area of life. The gospel speaks to your marriage. The gospel speaks to your money. The gospel speaks to what you do with your time. The gospel speaks to how you treat your servers on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. The gospel speaks to how you communicate with each other. The gospel speaks to how you do relationships with each other. The gospel speaks to every single corner of your life. It speaks to your worry and your fear and your anxiety. It speaks to your anger. Whatever you do, every emotion you have, every action you have, every motive of your heart, all of it, is spoken to by this gospel. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is in harmony with His will, underneath His Lordship, subject to His Lordship, dependent on His power. All of life is lived underneath Jesus. All of life is lived in harmony with His will, and all of life is lived underneath His Lordship, and all of life is lived with total dependence on His power. And I'm going to tell you a secret. You ready? God's will to you personally is never going to contradict God's will as revealed in the Bible. You are not living in harmony with God's will if you go against the Bible. Period. And you can convince yourself it's so, but it's not. You can convince yourself what you're doing is right, but if it doesn't line up with this, the Holy Spirit didn't say it. God did not say it to you. God does not want it for you. God says it will not cause your life to flourish to go against what He says. Period. It will always destroy your life. And if you don't hear anything else today, if you're convincing yourself that some part of your life can go against what God says and it still be okay and it still be right and God said it to you, it's a lie and it will lead you to destruction. And I hope it's a small one, but it may well be a life-wrecking one. Because God's will never contradicts God's will. The Holy Spirit never speaks against the word He gave us. In fact, if you were to go to Ephesians 5, which is the parallel passage to this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you go to Ephesians 5, you know what it says? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Same words. The word of God is the voice that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to the people of God. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of Christ. I just want to beg you to think about this and remember this. The Holy Spirit did not say, if God did not say it in His Word, if it goes against it. And I say that not because I want to thump the Bible. I say that because it always leads to human destruction to go against God. And it leads to human flourishing when you walk in His ways. Always. That means it's easy just means it flourishes. And so our worship is this continuous, all-of-life response, lived out under God, from everything from our changing of diapers to our singing of hymns, everything is meant to be an act of worship. I have received grace. I am accepted. I am loved. So I go out into a world and I love. I go out into a world and I declare. I go out into a world and I remember. And I remind other people along the way. A couple of practical things as we close. First, sing from the heart. What has stolen your song? Maybe you're mouthing the words, but something has stolen the heart behind it. What is it? Oh, would you just let the gospel capture that area and pour grace into that area to reawaken it? Or maybe you've closed your mouth altogether and you don't sing. What has stolen your song? Because it's stolen it from the people around you. 
And it's stolen it, more importantly, to the God who's worthy of it. Sing. Sing from your hearts. From hearts captured with grace and then respond in the way you can shout a little bit, right? Amen. Y'all can do that. You can clap. It's okay. Bible's got clapping in it. You can do that. You can bow. You can weep. You all, we want to set you free to that. Sing from a heart captured by grace. Second, saturate your life with the word. Are you plugged into church? Are you plugged into smaller communities, whether it's Sunday school or small groups? Are you plugged into people where the word is present and prayer is present? Saturate your life with the word. Are you reading the word daily? We've got a reading plan to help you, not just for your own personal study times, which we'd encourage that, but also so that you can bring it into community with other people as you gather and you can share about the same word that the Holy Spirit's been speaking through both people through. And so do that. Saturate your lives with the word in personal study. Saturate your lives with the word in relationship. Saturate your lives with the word as you gather. Is the word dwelling in you individually, richly, so that God can use it to teach and admonish and give grace and encouragement and correction? But also because only if it's dwelling in us individually, richly, can it really dwell in us together, richly. Last one. Worship freely in life and in our gatherings. Worship freely in life and in our gatherings. What does a response to grace look like where you live? What does a response to one who has loved you perfectly and forever look like in how you love your spouse and your kids and your neighbor and your friends and your coworkers? What does that look like? Because that's what's called worship. What is being served by the king of kings who did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many? What does it look like for you then to go serve people like someone who has been served and didn't deserve it? What does worship look like where you live? And then what does worship look like in the gathering? Is there a response you're holding back because I'm embarrassed? Is there a response you're holding back because you've let stuff clutter your heart so that you aren't hearing the words that are being spoken? Is there a response you're not giving because that's just not how we do it? I don't care that you ever respond in a way that's physically seen. I care that you never let something stop you from the response God's calling out of your life. That's what I care. And so if you're a contemplative and meditative and worshiping your socks off and we can't see it, I don't care. But if you're holding back from God, this expression of grace that's captured you, I beg you not to do it anymore. Let grace set you free. And that doesn't mean let's look at me. It means in humility and response to my God, I do that. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that there could never be enough songs to exhaust the riches of your grace. God, we couldn't sing constantly and declare enough of your praises. Father, we couldn't breathe every breath in praise and it be enough because you are that worthy, you're that glorious, you're that amazing. But God, I pray for myself, recapture my heart with grace. God, stun it with grace again, amaze me with grace again. Like a well-watered garden, make my soul flourish in this rich grace. 
And I pray for my brothers and sisters across this room, God, that you would water their souls with grace. God, that they would experience grace. And because they've experienced grace, they would release their expressions and they would release their songs and they would release their lives because grace is that great. I pray you would move among us, Father, today for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.